Welcome to episode 50 of the Family Geekery Podcast. I'm Chris. I'm Amber. And I'm Danny. And today is our 50th episode, very special episode. Not only is it an anniversary episode, but it's also a, uh, a video episode, so you get to see our, our pretty faces. And it's also our first real interview. Now, we've had guests on the podcast before, but this is the first time we've had an interview. Girls, are you excited? Yeah. All right, so I'm going to give a quick introduction to our very special guest, starting off with his uh, kind of a bio. So it says, artist for illustration, comics, and fine art for clients like Marvel, DC, Dark Horse, Wizards of the Coast, and White Wolf. His original paintings have been displayed in Los Angeles, New York, London, Berlin, and Cannes. And he is a 28-year veteran of the video game industry and has worked with Disney, DreamWorks, LucasArts, Activision, Konami, and Sony. I mean, it's almost unbelievable that this is all one person but we have with us today brian horton brian how are you doing great chris it's uh wonderful talking with you all today and uh i'm honored to be here on your 50th it's, it's a big it's a big accomplishment so just a quick little uh, background on how we landed uh an industry veteran like brian horton um we happened to go to the same high school together. Now I'm going to start off with, with my first question, which has nothing to do with the interview for you, Brian. And this question is, is only prompted because one of my daughters, and I won't mention which one, when, when, I fr- when I've told them, hey, for the 50th, what do you think about interviewing my friend Brian Horton? They're like, oh, yeah, that'd be br- really cool. And one of my daughters said, do you think he remembers you? Do you think he knows you? <laughs> and I'm going to let you answer that in just a second. But I think the reason why they may have said that is because for the last 20 years in our household, you've been the Spider-Man guy, the the Miles Morales guy, the um, Drew stuff for Marvel guy, the Tomb Raider, Tomb Raider guy, you know, the, the guy that I went to high school or guy I went to school with that, that does that stuff. Um, now, there's also, we also went to school with the world's youngest female self-made billionaire. Did you know that? No. Okay. Well, we, we did. Um, and, and when she was on Shark Tank, hey, I went to high school with her. Now, Sarah Blakely and I did not go in the same social circles by any means. So Sarah Blakely is the creator of Spanx. She, uh, She's the creator of Spanx. Yeah, <laughs> that's like the creator of Post-it notes or something like that. I mean, that, that that's huge. That is yeah, an amazing accomplishment for us. So, so seeing her on Shark Tank and hey, that's you, you went to high school with her, and then you know a couple of years later, hey, what do you think about Brian coming on our uh, our podcast? So one of them said that does he really? You think he knows you? Does he you think he's going to remember you? So take a take a second and answer that question. Yeah. I mean, we, we obviously were in school for a long time together. I know your father, you know, he, he was, <laughs> he, he was, uh, important in, in my development, you know, helping me with my, <laughs> with my vision and stuff like that. So it's like, I, I think we've both share a love of the same kind of music. We, um, obviously, uh, had a lot of similar memories going back to CHS and, um, 
yeah, of course I remember you. We got to hang out at the last reunion we had and it was a wonderful time. So it's great to be here and talking with your daughters because I too have kids that are of a similar age. I have a 20 year old that's about to turn 21 and I have a daughter. Uh, he's my son, Victor, and my daughter, Evelyn, she is uh, uh, 18 or turning eight, yeah, 18 and uh, she's about to go into her, her art school career. Um, so we have very similar you know, backgrounds. And it's like I said, it's just great to be here to talk with you. It's been a while since we talked, but I definitely remember you, of course. Cool. All right. So I hope that settles that question. Then. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, so we're going to get into uh, some questions. I'm going to let uh, the girls kind of go back and forth and I'll kind of moderate between them. Uh, we're going to start off with, with Danny hitting you up with the first question. Yeah. So my first question is, was being an artist always your goal or did you have something else in mind? That's a good one. I, I knew pretty early on that I wanted to be an artist. I think when my, when I first came from Pennsylvania um, and I, you know, I, my earliest memory besides having star Wars poster on the wall and a kiss poster on the wall was the art that made up those those films and those bands that I loved inspired me. I always looked at that imagery going, I don't know how that happens, but I want to do something like that. So I used to draw all the time when I was young. Um, so by the time I got to Florida, um, I started really taking it seriously. And I had a wonderful uh, teacher named Mrs. Wolf. And she, I credit her with my career in art because she saw my enthusiasm very early on and she gave me the tools to actually get into college review process to actually look at arts, build portfolios, get, get critiques. And, um, it helped, it helped me get the discipline I needed to follow my dream, which was to become an artist and do create imagery that like similar to the imagery I was inspired by, you know, and I've always loved comic books. I've always loved illustration. I've always loved, uh, fine art and, um, it was pretty much my goal, I would say, from middle school on. Uh, the other thing I, I want to credit, in addition to Mrs. Wolf, who was an amazing teacher, it's unfortunately no longer with us, is my mom, um, Brenda Horton. She saw my passion for art, and she signed me up into as many classes as she could outside of school. So I had classes in pottery and in watercolor painting and uh oil painting just because I had a passion for it. So I had two very incredible women in my life that supported me. And I would be remiss to say um, I owe a lot of my career as an artist to my um, uncle and aunt who helped me with a loan to get into Savannah College of Art and Design. So uh, I had a lot of people along the way who helped me achieve my goal, but it, it's something that I've always wanted. And I just couldn't be more happy with that opportunity I was given um, to pursue that through my education at Savannah College of Art and Design and then um, being hired in my, right out of school at Disney Interactive. So I, I feel very fortunate to fulfill my dream. That's cool. I was really interested in the answer to that question because I wasn't sure if you knew that you were going to be an artist, but kind of everybody else knew that you were going to be an artist because... You know, it, in, in school, if, if you needed some honest-to-goodness, like, art or illustration done, you went to Brian, 
<laughs> and if you needed, there, were, there was like two main artists that I knew. If you needed some obscure 1970s cartoon character be, to, to be drawn, that you would go to Eric Torgerson. Um, so between you two, you, you had everything covered in, in school. So it, it's kind of uh, it's kind of weird where everybody knows, hey, this is the art guy, and then what if you became like a, a plumber or something? You know. So it's it's really cool to see that that uh, you all became what we thought you were going to become. Well, it's it's important, I think, to always follow your passion. Now, that doesn't mean everyone's going to be a professional at whatever their passion is. But the peop- what's great about the world today is um, you don't even need to go to college necessarily to, to pursue your passions. I, I, I did, did get a lot out of art school, um, but there are so many um, tutorials and stuff on YouTube. Like my daughter, she's learned more from YouTube on how to be, become an artist than I would have like ever learned on my own. Uh, and I've just seen her talent blossom. And, and it's just really cool to see a, a younger, <laughs> you know, person that is obviously someone I feel I'm very feel very close to, um, embrace their own passions for art, and I do hope at some point in my life, and it's something I'm very passionate about to teach because if I can pass down some of the lessons I've learned, I feel I owe it to the young artists out there that are interested in learning things and becoming artists and being able to impart some of that wisdom. I think is part of the, it's part of what I feel. I, I had so many influential people in my life that made a big difference. And I, and I hope at some point to be an influential person in someone else's career as an artist. Cool. All right. We'll kick it over to Amber for the next question. Yeah. Um, how was it to transition from college into working in the arts? Yeah, that was um, very fortunate circumstance. So my wife, Susan Horton, who was, Susan Johnson at the time, my girlfriend in college, we, um, it was our summer of our junior year. After our junior year, we all wanted to go to a convention, uh, Dragon Con, um, which was in Atlanta. And she had a car and we drove over from Savannah to uh, Atlanta. And I was able to meet um, this artist named Tom Ang, who was at the Allen Spiegel Fine Arts booth. And they're a collective of artists that I really liked. And I happened to have my portfolio with me and I showed him my portfolio and he happened to work at Disney Interactive. Um, He was recruiting um, and I was very fortunate to make that connection. If I wasn't, if I didn't go to that convention at that time, I don't think I'd be in the video game industry. I mean, it was one of those rare moments that if you think about it through the lens of decisions, how important that one decision was to go to that one convention. And I had an interview while I was still in my last I took summer classes all throughout college. I graduated early, but I was able to get an interview in the fall at Disney and I had a job offer and the job offer was to have me working uh, at the end of November. And I basically graduated. And the next day, Susan and I were in a U-Haul taking all of our life from Savannah, Georgia to Burbank, California. And it was the most amazing adventure to be able to transition from college and, and go right into employment. Cause I don't know about you, Chris, but not many people, not many parents are in our generation would imagine art is, is the most lucrative uh, profession to choose and to go to college for. I know there was some, 
some doubts of like, can I even make a living doing this? So it was really encouraging to be able to, um, to be as lucky as I was to, to be able to land a job right out of school. And uh, I will tell you that first year at Disney was sort of like the next year of college. I learned so much um, about digital art and what it's like to work in a professional environment. And a lot of the training and discipline I, I put myself through in, in art school translated very well because it felt like I was with another group of artists that were very similar, just came out of art school. And um, it was, I would say, a magical time. And it's, it's kind of cliche to say that working at Disney, but it really did feel magical. I was at a place that I loved, like I'm a huge Disney fan. So to be at the Burbank Studios and look at the places where all the classic animated films were, were, were created and be in a, in an office building just down the street from there, it really was almost surreal. So I could just say that I feel fortunate that I landed that job at that particular time at the beginning of entertainment based video game companies coming to life. So being able to make video games around properties like Disney properties, that was, that was a very Disney interactive had only been around for two years before I joined. So it, it was, it felt very new and everyone was sort of figuring things out. And, um, I've been able to grow with the industry as, uh, throughout my 28 year career. So yeah, it was a wonderful transition and it felt, um, it felt like even though I never studied for digital art, um, I felt well prepared to, to go into it because they were really looking for people that could draw and paint. And then they taught me the computer side. So that, that isn't the case anymore. Uh, we're really looking for people in the video game industry with computer experience, but I came in at a time that that wasn't a requirement. So I, I, I feel like I got lucky there. Sometimes right place, right time means like all makes all the difference. Same exact thing with, with my career, basically. Very cool. Let's go back to Danny for another question. Yeah. So SCAD was definitely one of my interests. I only knew about it because my dad talked about you and how you went there and stuff. So I was wondering what was it like going there and did you face any challenges when you went there? So when I went, I, I was, I graduated 91. I went to SCAD in 1991. Um, and I would say that Savannah was at a place that, uh, was still, fairly new. It had been around a while, but it was, it had been around long enough that it had an established culture and group of people that were there. And I felt that it was, um, perfectly suited for me because it was not too alien. It was, you know, I'm from Florida and then going to Savannah, it was just, a, it was almost kind of like this cool classic, you know, um, you know, it, it's a town that has a lot of history to it. And I felt like I was learning something a little new and experiencing a different culture, but it still wasn't too far removed from what I knew in Florida. Um, and then what I was really fortunate, fortunate is I, who I was ended, ended up rooming with um, at, the, at the dorms, Dimitri Ellingson, he and I became fast friends and we ended up finding a, a, another couple of people who became really good friends. Each of us were in a different major. So Dimitri was in computer arts. I was in illustration. I had another friend, Nathan Conrad, who was into video. And I had another friend, Carrie Kenny, who was into fine art and painting. And we ended up um, 
finding a house in the second year of school and we all stayed together. So we ended up being our own little family uh, of people who were all super excited about being the best in what in our discipline, but we were all different. So we were almost like complementary skill sets. So as much as the teachers were influential, I would say that group of people that I found made art school more exciting and made it even more rewarding because we of the inspiration we would give each other on a daily basis. Um, and, and I, of course, the other thing I would say about SCAD, which I wasn't expecting, is I got to meet my wife, Susan, there, who was a photography major. So with all of the people that were important in my life, we covered almost every base except for architecture, I think. Um, and, uh, and I think because Savannah is a small town and you can walk and bike pretty much everywhere, it just felt it, it, it felt homey. Like it, we just felt that there was a sense of um, community there that, that wasn't, I was in this big place. I felt like I was in a smallish school and I got to know a lot of people. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, I would say at that time, I know Savannah is way different now. It was the perfect place for me to be. And, and, I, and I came out of that program feeling that I had gotten a lot of exposure to illustration and to fine art. Um, and then I took some other classes like computer classes that helped pr prepare me for um, the world I was about to go into in video games. Neat. The way you talk about friends makes me want to almost go out and get some. <laughs> <laughs> they sound pretty cool. All right, uh, Amber, you've got a, a question that's right up your alley of interests. Yeah, so I'm a pretty big fan of Magic the Gathering. And a couple of weeks ago, dad was like, yo, I didn't know that Brian did art for these cards. You know, these cards. So my question to you is, what was the process in designing art for Magic the Gathering cards? And would you do it again? Uh, I used to go to San Diego Comic Con um, with the same group, Alan Spiegel Fine Arts, that I was telling you about that got me connected to the job at Disney. I ended up becoming one of the artists that Alan would represent. Right. So we would work the booth at San Diego Comic Con and we would meet up with all kinds of contacts. And one of those contacts is, which is an editor, I can't remember her name anymore, who saw my illustrations and decided to hire all of us for Magic the Gathering cards. So everyone at the Alan Spiegel Fine Arts booth got cards that year. Uh, and it was a really fun process. At that time, Magic was huge. Um, I think this was somewhere around 90 five or six um, when, when I did them. I, I'm, I'm a little fuzzy on the dates. Uh, but yeah, the process was we would get these briefs um, of what the card's powers were and what the, the story of it was. And we would create sketches that um, would sort of bring these ideas to life. And we would get feedback on those sketches and then take them to paint. And at that time, I wasn't doing any digital painting. I was doing everything in oil paint. So Actually, all four of the magic cards I did were oil paints. And I think I know most of them. Razor Tooth Rats, Miraculous Recovery. Uh, I was the only two I remember. But I know I had two other ones. Um, and uh, yeah, what I found was by doing them, um, and I never did any cards after that, but I get calls and emails consistently from people asking me to sign magic cards. Like, I never knew this was going to be so a part of my life for as long as it's been. Um, and just recently I got, I got a, a request from Facebook for, for more cards uh, to be signed. So the, the process of doing it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed the illustrations I did cause they, they did mark a time that was the last 
illustrations I did in oil paint. So I actually had original paintings from. And then after that, I went purely digital with all of my illustrations. So it was kind of a, a really cool point in my career as an illustrator to, uh, to get that job. I've described to Amber the, uh, the way that I remember Magic the Gathering, like in college, walking around campus. Now, I grew up with a bedroom full of long boxes of comics. Me too. I played almost exclusively RPGs on computer, like as soon as I got home from school until I went to bed. Um, so I was like the prime target for that. And I'd walk around campus and see these guys playing and be like, nerds. <laughs> like look at those geeks <laughs> like, those guys are crazy so that's that's the the, the fanaticism uh, at the beginning yeah I'm, I'm embarrassed to say i've not played one game of magic the gathering but um i my son thought it was really cool that i that i did <laughs> make these cards you know so there's a lot of fans out there and i i know how um important this game is to so many people and i'm i just feel honored that i got to do those cards it was it was a lot of fun Thank you. Yeah. All right, Danny, back to you. Yeah. So I know you already talked about your job with Disney right out of school, but did you have any internships or jobs during school? Um, So while I was at school, the thing that I did the most was I worked at the the college newspaper. At first, I I worked in the newsroom, uh, or sorry, the the mailroom, and then I got a job it's another side job um, with the, the paper itself, delivering the papers, the, 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 the school papers, because I didn't, I had to pay for my, my room and board and, and I had to take side jobs to do that. So while I was working at the paper, they're like, Hey, would you want to do um, illustrations for the paper? I'm like, that would be great. Right. I love doing, you know, I love the practice. So um, I did, I would say at least 30, uh, illustrations for for the newspaper, and, and that really gave me a lot of experience. And I first started off doing tonal paintings, um, and then that I, then I started to really get more into comics at a point, and I started doing pen and ink. So then I started doing a lot of pen and ink stuff, and it was more in a cartoon style that I don't really do anymore. But I learned a lot by being able to do them. I didn't get paid a lot for them, but I, I would say that was close to like an internship vibe where I was I was learning a lot. I was getting my work published. And uh, I, I felt like I was getting an idea of what it felt like to be a professional illustrator. Um, the other thing I did, which I had, a, I had a class in college at SCAD by one of my favorite professors, uh, Tracy Haymans, um, who unfortunately is no longer with us. Uh, she had a class called Get Published. And she actually had contacts with all magazines throughout the country. And uh, we all competed. The assignments were competing for the job. So you would get an assignment from a magazine and everyone in the class would do a piece and then different pieces would get selected and, and published. One of my illustrations got published in a, you know, in a Texas magazine. I can't remember the name of it. And that was a big deal. So those are the kind of things that we did. I did in college that got me prepared for the real world is thinking about your education, not just as exercises, but like, how can you, how can you think about what you do as the professional environment, how to work with people, how to present your work, how to ship it and make sure back then we were shipping original art. It was different than it is now. Um, uh, how to prepare uh, invoices even if, if you want to do that. There was a business side that we, we were getting exposure to that was, that was also extremely valuable. So 
that I can't say enough how important, even if you're not getting paid for something, doing a professional turnaround, like internship work can be extremely valuable. And I will say at Insomniac, we have a wonderful internship program and we've had, we've converted many of our interns into full-time Insomniac employees. And, and I'm a huge, huge believer in internships as a way to, to break into any industry you might want to get into. Cool. So we are a huge Disney family also, and probably more so Disney parks, Disney family than like just straight up Disney and Disney stuff. Again, growing up so close to, uh, to Disney world and everything. So Amber's got a, a question regarding that. Yeah. So I saw that you worked on Toy Story Mania, Mania for the Wii. Were you involved at all in the production of the ride? Because I know they're pretty similar. <laughs> yeah. So the, the good the story about that was um, the answer is no. Uh, they, the ride had already been created. So our job was creating an adaptation for the Wii. Um, we worked with a studio called Papaya, um, who was in uh, Orange County, California at the time. And um, the cool thing at working at Disney, one of the perks was, in this particular instance, we got to go to the park after hours when no one was there. We got to walk through the whole ride as a small group, the developers. And, and the, at the time, I was in the, on the publishing side at Disney Interactive. So we got to experience what the real game was like uh, in, a, in a private setting. Uh, and that was really, really cool. What I loved about working on that project is we actually had consultation with some Pixar animators about some of these key characters. So some of the animators that worked at Papaya were people that I have worked with for a long time. So Chris, I don't know if you know any of these classic games. Do you know the classic game Earthworm Jim back in the oh, day? Absolutely. Yeah. So these are the animators that worked on Earthworm Jim. They were working at Papaya at the time. And Mike Dietz and Ed, Ed were incredible animators and they were able to adapt the style. They had to re they had a hand an animate these sequences of Buzz and Woody coming in inside or Rex coming in on the side. And it felt like we were making Pixar quality animations um, for a video game and being able to work with them and work with some consultants who have worked at Pixar. It just felt like this special project. And I've been a huge fan of Pixar from the very beginning. And I worked at the, my first stand at Disney was when Pixar was created. So I actually got to see Toy Story as a company free trip. And I've just been in love with them ever since. So working on Toy Story Mania, working on Toy Story 3, that was those were fun projects to work on at Disney. Um, and uh, I wish I had something to do with the ride because I'm a huge fan of that ride uh, over in the California park. You know, I, I used to go there all the time um, when we had the Silver Pass. But uh, yeah, it working on those working on that franchise in particular was definitely one of the high points at Disney. That's cool. I listened to a lot of uh, Disney podcasts and stuff and retro Disney history type podcasts. And there was a whole episode on that particular ride. And I guess originally it was sold. The concept was sold as the fact that they would every couple of years make a whole new, you know, burn a whole new disc and give it to the parks. And then it would be a whole new thing. And I guess they've only done like one update in the 20 years it's been running or something. <laughs> yeah. It's, I don't know if it's gone that long, but it's been at least, I would say 10 years. And I, I think it, it was popular enough that they didn't, they haven't, I've never seen an update on it. Um, but the, I will, I will say the thing that was fun for us making the Wii port of it was obviously you had the Wii controller. So there was a physicality to it and, and being able to create games that weren't in the park ride that were just specifically for the Wii that, that felt fun. Right. So, uh, yeah, I don't think they have ever updated 
that, but it is still one of my favorite rides to play, uh, to, to go out in, in, uh, in the, the adventure park. Yeah. Cool. All right, Danny, another question. Yeah. My next question is what was your process of becoming a game artist slash director? Well, um, the process really was one of progression. Uh, if you think about anything in life, it, it is one experience builds into the next. And we are often learning things on the job that will help us learn a new skill. So I was learning how to be a good digital artist at first. And then after I got into digital art and understanding that, that was all in 2D, you know, doing pixel cleanup and things like that on games like Gargoyles. Then I got onto games that I had to learn Photoshop and I did Photoshop backgrounds. And then that turned into learning 3D and working on the PlayStation 1. Um, I had to learn how to build things in, in 3D Studio Max um, with the limitations uh, of, of, of that platform. And that just kept growing and growing. As I went through digital art, I would then get into positions where how would you like to be a leader? And, and then I started to work as a leader of, of people, a lead artist. Um, and then that I got my big break on a game called Clyde Barker's Undying, which was a horror game for PC. And then from there, it really was a progression working on different games. I got to work on Indiana Jones and other uh, big titles uh, for as a lead artist until I became an art director. Um, and, and really all it was was lear skills learned, time to learn those skills, and then learning how to be a better communicator, a better vision holder. How can I craft an art vision for people to rally around and, and, and make this game? And it doesn't mean that you have to be the best at that, at that thing. You just need to understand the principles of it and work with wonderful, talented people to bring that vision to life. So that's what I've, the, the lesson I learned to you know, teach anyone who wants to get into direction is learn your craft and, and try different things. And the more skills you can pick up as a craft person, the per person that makes things, then you can start to empathize and understand what they're going to go through when they're making, when you're asking them to make uh, something that's really difficult or challenging. Uh, and people skills are everything like learning how to talk with people, learning how to build relationships with people and um, really having their well-being in, in your heart, as well as wanting to, to mentor them and make them better at their craft. Um, those are all the skills I think people will, should embrace if they think about leadership. It's, it really is getting joy out of watching other people grow and create something that you're not necessarily contributing to the craft of, but you're helping sculpt and drive and, and give them a direction. Um, I often say that being a director is more about being like a captain of a ship. You're pointing the direction of where you want to go to get everyone rallied around that direction. And if you know if it's going off course, you're steering them left or right, because you want to ultimately get to this destination that people can't see yet. So you have to have that destination in your head, but to the path to get there is going to maybe not be a straight line, you know? Um, and uh, I, I find that the, my job as a director has been my most rewarding because seeing a team rally to, or, together to create something special is um, it's rare. It's rare to be able to do that. And, and I feel very fortunate that I, that's my job. Very cool. Now, speaking about 
being in the industry. Now that now that we got you into in the industry, I got a quick question for you. It wasn't on your list, but um, this is just a little little side question. Have you ever watched the show Mythic Quest? Yes, I have. <laughs> okay, all of it. Have you have you, you watched the recent season? Yes. Okay. So how how does the uh, the, the the whole show is great, but how does their relationship with the artists uh, live up to like reality? Like they they just seem to abuse them. I I, I know <laughs> you're probably not. It's it's obviously. It's it's exaggerated, a, but it's an exaggerated version of what game development is for sure. But what's really fun about the show is they've done their research. They've clearly talked to developers. They understand the dynamics. Um, it's fun to see the exaggerated persona of what a a, a creative director can be. That is, I, that, th- those that kind of uber personality based creative director is is not something that that you see. <laughs> in many places, but I can say that the thing that I really like is um, the episodes that show the contributions, for instance, of the QA team, the testing team, and what they can bring and how much they their value is elevated and they have great ideas like everyone else has great ideas, um, shows that everyone makes a difference in a, in a video game company, you know, and you need to be open to the idea that even if someone doesn't have a, a direct responsibility in, in a particular area, they have valuable feedback. Um, I know I'm probably sidestepping your question a little bit, but the, the thing I love most about it is the disparate groups of people at different levels in the organization and how often they subvert expectations of what you'd expect. And, and I think that's, that's, that's definitely true. You know, you'll find, um, you'll find those interesting personality dynamics for sure. Uh, in a development house, but as far as abuse goes, no, it's not about <laughs> going up to an artist and you know giving them an impossible thing and just say do this tomorrow. Like that, that doesn't that doesn't happen. Well, it, let me put this way: it shouldn't happen, and I haven't experienced that happening. But I I do uh, appreciate the the perception that that might be what it's like. It, it's not quite like that in my experience. It, it makes for a good uh, good storyline, though. Oh Recurring. yeah. A recurring theme. All right, Amber, back to you. Yeah, I know you touched on this briefly, but how did your responsibilities as a lead artist compare to your responsibilities as a creative di- creative director? That's a great that's a great question. So, um, what I, here's the best way I can answer it: if a lead's job, well, if, if a director's job is is the what, like what are we doing? The lead's job is the how are we doing it, right? So there is there is a big difference on on the what. So the what is we are making this thing, right? The how is, well, how are we going to make that thing? Well, I've got to get this person talking to this person. I need to get this references together. So your job is facilitating a vision and you're getting, working with other people to make said thing. And as a lead, the most important thing to do is know the, the best way to execute that in the, in the, in the least amount of time at the highest quality, right? So that's the, that's sort of the vector you're thinking about is how can we make this thing get done to hit our schedule and achieve the quality of our, that we're trying to achieve. Um, and it's a lot of creative problem solving. I mean, I think that's the thing about video games that I would say is every day is a puzzle to solve. It's, it's a meta game, right? It's like <laughs> video game development is puzzles. It is 
hard, difficult, almost impossible. You think impossible things to solve. And somehow we figure out ways to do it under constraints, right? Because that's what there always is. There's always usually a time delay or time pressure or a resource issue or a technology de deficit. And you have to still find a way to accomplish this goal that the director is asking for. And that's what's sort of amazing about being a lead is you have to think about, well, how can I do that with these limitations? So that's the big difference. Now, as a director, I'm still responsible for asking for reasonable things to do, not, not impossible things to do. So that's why I think coming up from leadership allows me to empathize with the thing I'm, that I'm requesting. But um, it, it, is, it is two very important complementary skill sets between the director and the, and the lead. You, you've walked in their shoes, so you know, you know what's expected. All right, I'm, I'm going to keep sprinkling in a couple fun questions in here. Sure. Um, name one project, some, some game out there that you've seen that you weren't a part of, that you looked at it and you're like, man, I, I, wish, I wish I was on that. Oh, so many. Um, I, I'll, I'll say two, two big ones and then two smaller ones. So for the smaller ones, I, I'm a huge fan of this game called Journey, and I wish I could have made a game like Journey. Um, I wish I could have made a game like Inside. Those are the two indie games that I absolutely love, and they affected me on an emotional level, and I wish I had been a part of them, right? And Journey's been featured on this on this podcast. There you go. It's just, I think it's, I think it's one of the greatest games of all time. It's like, it, because it's a poem. The game is a poem, right? If I think about our medium. So I, I don't know what it meant to you all, but that that's what it, was to me. I, I cried. Yep, me too. And then as soon as uh, my daughter got home, I for, forget where she was. She was at church or something. She got home. I said, sit down, play this game. Come talk to me afterwards. And did you so, cry? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> played it that night. <laughs> yeah, I, it, I've never played in a, a game that was that short that affected me that emotionally with, the le with no dialogue in it, right? But just the journey of it was spiritual right there's something about that game that 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 speaks to life right and the moment that makes that game so special to me is emergently discovering when i'm in the cold frigid area and i happen to be adventuring with someone and we got closer to each other and our mutual body warmth allowed us to move faster i'm like oh my gosh my head exploded at this moment that happened only because video games like you can't have that experience in passive media like film it was something you had to experience and i was doing it with someone else that i didn't know their name i didn't know who they were but we helped each other journey through life and it, that that's why journey means so much to me um and then inside is just another one of those wonderful games i'm a huge fan of puzzles and um it's a dark moody uh bizarre game that i absolutely love from start to finish um now, the big games that I love, um, that I wish I was a part of, was the, the first The Last of Us from Naughty Dog. I, that game means a lot to me. And I happened to be making Tomb Raider the same year they were making The Last of Us. And I was like, we were so proud of Tomb Raider. And then The Last of Us came out. And I was like, <laughs> oh, oh, my gosh. You know, and I'm really proud of, of working on Tomb Raider. Don't get me wrong. Like, if, if I, I feel I wouldn't trade them. I loved making Tomb Raider at the same time they were making The Last of Us. But that's that game made me want to be a better storyteller, right? So I that that game for sure. And then I would say the other game that I is big that I wish I was a part of um, 
is probably either Mario 64 or Ocarina of Time, like one of the one of those early Nintendo 3D games, because that's what blew my mind, like from going from the 2D to 3D space, that just, this is the possibility of video games. Um, and I've already worked on one of my favorite games, which was Tomb Raider. I, I didn't work on the original Tomb Raiders, but I worked on the, the re- re- reboots. And Tomb Raider was another one of those games that I always loved. So I got to sort of live that fantasy. I got to make a Tomb Raider game. So that was a lot of different games, but those are the ones that that have um, that I that I wish I'd been a part of. You know, looking looking through the list of your you know IMDb credits uh, or not IMDb but the LinkedIn credits, it it made me realize that I don't think there'll be, and I, I could be proven wrong, but I don't think there'll be another generation of of artists or video game creators that will experience the same revolutionary. Ism, I know it's not a word that that your career has spanned. Do you do you kind kind of agree with that? I I think you're right, Chris. In as much as I got to see a lot of shifts in technology, like big shifts, like seismic ones. We don't have seismic shifts as much anymore, right? Like um, there's definitely going to be some every system, every generation has something new to offer, but nothing like going from 16 bit through to where we're at now, you know, on this generation, that that's a lot of different, that's a huge growth in not only technology, but the style of video games and how games have changed, you know, from those, from those days. So, yeah, I I mean, I, I I just think I I came in at a really interesting time um, where I'd missed the Atari, but that's where we, you know, Chris, you and I grew up in the, I grew up on the Atari 2600 Commodore 64, right? The, those were the game. Those are the systems that inspired me. Arcades inspired me. I never thought there'd be a career in it, right? I used to play them. I never thought, oh, I'm going to do that because it was not like my art brain was more like I don't know. I, I just didn't think about how my art aspirations could could fit there. But as soon as then we started, like I said, entertainment products really came in. And you started to see Disney esque, like Aladdin, side scrolling video game. I was like, oh my gosh, that's like a Disney animated film on I'm playing that that really opened up my eyes and and uh and it's only grown from there so it's a long-winded way to say I don't know how it can be that that much growth in one career but I feel fortunate to go through I keep saying feel fortunate but I that's the way I look at my career I've like I can I can just tell you that I've been lucky and I've also worked very hard and I think you need a little bit of both of those to have this kind of a career that I've been fortunate enough to have, you know, it's, it's a lot of luck and a good amount of hard work. Absolutely. All right, Amber, I think you got the next one. Yeah. Um, are there any artists that have been major inspirations to your work? Many. Um, I think what was really cool was, uh, I've, I've always been aware of art. I wasn't always sure what, artists, which artists were like, so for instance, I never, I, knew, I saw the Hildebrandt names on Star Wars posters. I, I don't know who these Hildebrandt brothers are, but that, that name like, stuck with me. Um, I would say the artist that inspired me a lot was Salvador Dali. And we were in, we had a museum for Salvador Dali in our backyard, like in, in St. Pete. So I could actually go to a museum and study an artist I really loved. And I remember just going there all the time and going, wow, I'm going to take advantage of seeing this art 
And, and I can tell you, it definitely inspired me to want to go to art school, to be able to see art, original art like that. Um, and then there was a, a bunch of um, golden age illustrators that I would learn about in college, um, comic book artists that I, that I love. So I'll rattle off a few. So golden age illustrators, like I'm a huge fan of Dean Cornwell, who is uh, in the golden age of illustration. I'm a huge fan of um, Meet Schaefer. I'm a huge fan of, um, in the fine art world, I, I got into this artist named Odd Nerdrum. I was a huge fan of a comic, the, the, the painterly comic book artists that were part of the Alan Spiegel Fine Arts Group. Kent Williams, Dave McKean, John J. Muth, uh, uh, George Pratt. And I got to be friends with them. So I went to college looking up to these people and then I ended up get to hang out with them and learn from them. And I just couldn't believe that I got to, to, to know my, my idols, the people I really wanted to be like in college. Um, and then, you know, I got really into fine art and abstract art and I, I just kept opening up my mind to different styles of things. Uh, my favorite artist today is probably John Singer Sargent. Um, and I'm a big fan of the, the 19th century realist painters. And I do a lot of fine art in that trying to emulate those styles. And, um, I've been a collector of original art for about 20 years now. And I'm very proud to say I have a collection of artists that I absolutely love. I'm going to rattle off a few, uh, which would be my friend, Paul Lee here, who is my longtime collaborator is behind me, Nick Alm, uh, Hollis Dunlap, uh, Kent Williams. I was talking about earlier, um, uh, a number of other ones I, I can't think of right now. Uh, I, my my world has been um is constantly informed by artists that i love and i am happy to say that uh i've had art in my life from a very young age and it's stuck with me all the way to now i'm gonna throw one name at you and i know nothing about art i'm gonna throw one name because i've always been curious if they're actually a legit like respected artist or if they're like the fabio of of artists boris vallejo yeah, Boris is wonderful. Um, classic uh, anatomy specialist, um, you know, all about the muscles, you know, Boris Vallejo. Smooth, tanned physiques, but very accomplished, you know. Um, I'm more of a Frazetta fan than I'm a Boris Vallejo fan, but, you know. Uh, wait, like I got that wrong. Boris is... Did I get that right? Am I okay? I, now I'm now I'm second guessing myself on Boris Vallejo. I think if, if it's yes, I do have it right. Boris Vallejo, yes. So you didn't not a, you know that that art Boris is is well known and respected. Maybe not loved by everybody, but not a happy. When when I think of him, I think of uh, what like. Um... What was the the heavy metal? Heavy metal. Heavy metal. Uh, heavy yeah. metal magazine, um, probably covers of D and D video game type things. One hundred percent, right? Okay. Like, like, ultimately, I'm anyone who is creating art on a professional level. You know, there's a few exceptions that I'm not. I'm not going to be here to slam any artist. There, there's something of value to learn from, and Bor Boris was um, 
and is goes will go down in history as, as an iconic artist, you know, of of the seventies and eighties. I'm just happy to have pronounced his name close enough that you recognized it, because <laughs> I'm horrible with names. All right, uh, next question. I'm gonna I'm gonna rattle this one off to you. Have you ever been tempted during your career by the uh, the indie movement of video games? Yeah, we were just talking about that. I there was a point where I was probably foolishly considering wanting to have my own company. You know, I wanted to make indie games. You know. I don't know why I say foolishly because there's a lot of people who have gone from AAA into indie and been very successful. Um, so yeah, I definitely think I've been tempted at times. I think what I've realized is my um, particular skill sets are best suited for the AAA market, right? So that that's why I think I've stayed is this is where is my home base. You know what I feel I'm I'm especially good at. Um, but yeah, there are moments where, like I said, if I could have worked on journey or if I were to worked on a game like inside, I, I would have absolutely done it. We've, we've been in kind of, again, a neat, uh, progression of like the, the big names making games to here comes all these indies and they're making awesome games to the big names just buying the indies. <laughs> Almost like like in the in the early '90s, the the joke was always, "Hey, if you want to be rich, just make some software that is a tiny bit better than Microsoft software and get bought by them." And now it seems like if you can make a game that Microsoft or it's still the same company, <laughs> Bethesda or you know one of those big companies uh, can't compete with, they'll just buy you. Is that any of that kind of uh, happened well, behind the scenes? I definitely think there's been people that have peeled off and, and created independent studios. They're not in, in major publishers and then they will get acquired. Um, I do think there is a big consolidation going on in the industry for sure. We're seeing a lot of that happening, but I'm also seeing a thriving indie space period. Like people that just want to stay indie and are indie and some of the best games out there, there right now that are up for contention for game of the year are indie, indie games. So um, what I will always appreciate is people that have the passion to go out on their own and, and tr try something um, you know, I, I have nothing but respect for, uh, developers who strike out and, and try to make me have their own voice heard in an independent game. And, you know, for every Minecraft, there's thousands of, of other games that aren't successful, but you know, Minecraft was an indie game, you know, look at it now. It's like, it's a phenomenon. Uh, and, uh, so I do think it's important for the industry to have a balance of, you know, AAA large productions and independent small things and, you know, a, a market that we've kind of lost, which is that in-between market. I worked in what we would consider, you know, AA or A or even B, like, you know, games that weren't um, as high profile, but that that was a wonderful learning, like working on, on those style of games. Um, and right now it seems two extremes. Like our industry is like, you're making the most expensive AAA games or you're making indie games, right? There, there's very few in between. Um, but I, I do think uh, indie is, is going to continue to be an important force in uh, video games going forward. The, the tools today are just incredible for, for that. And, and that's, what's also kind of cool is, Unreal, for instance, is democratizing photorealism. Like you can make a photorealistic game without a massive team anymore, where that used to be impossible. Like you would need a lot of people to do it. 
So it is kind of exciting thinking about that and, and how um, a small group of people can, can, can get an unreal or a unity and, and do some really tremendous things that were you know, five years ago impossible with a small team. Cool. All right, we got one last question Danny's going to ask you. So what was your favorite project that you worked on? Oh, it's a tough one. That'll um, get you in trouble, won't it? <laughs> no, it doesn't get me in trouble. I mean, ultimately, I, I, will, I will say this. I can't give you one because I'll tell you why. Um, it, is, it is Rise of the Tomb Raider and the, just working on Tomb Raider Rise. I, I just pick Rise of the Tomb Raider because that's, that's the game I went from art direction into game direction. So I will always hold that as an important milestone for me because it was a character I loved and something I worked as an art director on the first Tomb Raider. Transitioning to game director is, it was a big change, right? It, it was a going out of my comfort zone into an area of direction that um, embraced what I always loved, which was the gameplay portion of it. Like I was an artist that wanted desperately to make great games, not just beautiful games. So that is super important because I love the character. I love the world and I loved what I was able to, to do in my career there. And then I would say Miles Morales equally because it was a game that I felt I was able to bring a lot of the experience that I had gained from working on, let's say Tomb Raider and working at Crystal, working at Insom uh, Infinity Ward and um, learning to work with Insomniac after, after making Spider-Man, we were able to make this game where I felt not only was the game fantastic, but it was the game we needed in 2020. And I'm just so proud to have made a game with such an amazing cast of actors. Um, it's the game. It's the first game I got to, to work on story and develop story because uh, as in a rise of the Tomb Raider and Tomb Raider, I was in, in the periphery of story, but this is the game. I really got to work with the writing team to develop that original story um, and work with the actors directly. So uh, yeah, those, I have to, I have to put them on even ground but those two games are the ones I'm most proud of working on. And, and kudos to you and your team on, on that particular game. I've heard so many uh, recounts of how uh, people who live in that area, you know, actual geographic area in that, you know, East Harlem, I guess, they, they, they have recognized it as being uh, very, uh, very true to, how they feel and, and how they live and that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, I will say the other thing I love about love about working on it, it was the research, you know, the year it was 2019, I think I, or 2018, um, I, I went to go to New York and I got to spend time there and, uh, take pictures in, in East Harlem and, uh, soaking up, I mean, it, it was a limited time, but I got to spend time there to understand what made, you know, seeing all the beautiful murals and the the inspiring um, culture that was there. And then working with consultants all throughout that production to make sure authenticity was there, that, that the, even the food and dishes that were prepared were authentic. Um, the language between the uh, Rio and Miles felt correct. Uh, the familial home and appointment, the way we did it, uh, the, the representation, the Puerto Rican representation, yeah, you know, all of those things were 
essential to get right. And we felt that the whole team felt this responsibility to get the, to get it right. Um, so yeah, the fact that we were given feedback from the game that, that spoke to its truth and they, they felt it was authentic. That, that was the, probably the, one of the coolest rewards, um, cause the team worked really hard to make that happen. Cool. So I think that's going to wrap up our, our questions. Girls, you have anything else that you wanted to ask? I don't think so. I don't think so. Well, Brian, I want to thank you so much for, uh, for coming on our, uh, little podcast here talking to our three listeners <laughs> well Chris, it i gotta tell you um it, it's so it was it was wonderful to be invited and um danny amber thank you for the questions they were they were very insightful and i, I hope you know you know you're you all got something out of it i mean i, I know i did just talking with you so thanks for the invitation cool and we'll be looking for a uh, Magic the Gathering type card of the Family Geekery. That that'll be your next commission. <laughs> All right. Well, I've got I, I've got some Magic cards that'll probably come in your way uh, with the uh, clearbacks. I might put a couple sketches on there for for y'all if, if if you're interested. That would be awesome. <laughs> All right. All right, Brian. Well, thank you so much for for being on the show. Um, maybe maybe episode 100, we can come back and and talk to you about about Wolverine. All right. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. So uh, thank you as always for listening, everybody. And until next time, peace out. Peace out and geek out. Thank you for listening to the Family Geekery podcast. For more information, visit www.familygeekery.com. Don't forget to subscribe at your favorite podcast provider. And until next time, peace out and geek out.